You have to keep going until the love goes deeper than the wound. If you're standing on a threshold, if you feel a yearning to tap into your greatest potential, but you're caught in that fuzzy in-between space of the now and not yet, don't despair. You're being invited to pivot with greater purpose. You're on the thrilling edge of becoming. You are being called to unleash your soul song. I'm Becky Fleischer, and I believe we're all born with a gift that's uniquely ours, our very own soul song. And I discovered on my own journey that when we unleash it into the world, man, does it make life sing. You might express it through writing, science, cooking, nursing, teaching, or some other endeavor. The song is different for each of us, and its expression can change throughout your life, but it can only sing when you're in tune with your truest self. I know you're trying to get things in focus, that you're looking for encouragement and practical tools to illuminate your own personal journey, and that's what you're gonna get here. I'm excited to travel this road with you. Let's get going. Welcome back to another episode of Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm your host, Becky Fleischer, and I am so happy to be with you today and to bring you this conversation with award-winning author, Amy Julia Becker. Amy just released her fourth book titled, To Be Made Well, An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope. And soul seekers, if you're in a season of healing right now, mm, and you know, let's be honest, who doesn't need a little healing after these past few years? If you're finding yourself in the need of some healing, put this on pause and order your copy right now. Do not delay. Actually, you know what? No, better yet, listen all the way through to the end of the show because I actually have an extra copy of the book that I'm going to be giving away. And I'll tell you exactly how you can win it at the end of the show. So stick around to the very end. Now, this book and today's show is really for anyone struggling with pain or loss and for anyone who's concerned about the things in this world that divide us. And if you're interested in helping to heal that division, this is really for you too. So it's kind of healing on all fronts. Healing is the noun, something to be received, and healing as the verb, something to do, an action, an activity to take part in. We are going beyond wellness and beyond miraculous physical transformations, and we're really exploring how we both personally and collectively can heal in a very comprehensive way, body, mind, and soul. Amy Julia is an award-winning writer and speaker on personal, spiritual, and social healing. She's the author of four books, including To Be Made Well, and she hosts the Love is Stronger Than Fear podcast. She's a graduate of Princeton University and Princeton Theological Seminary, and she holds a bivocational license with the Evangelical Covenant Church. I enjoyed every single minute of the time I got to spend with her, and I know that you will too. So let's jump right in. Amy, Julia, welcome to Unleash Your Soul Song. I am so happy that we are here together today, and I am super grateful that you are taking the time because as we are recording this on March 14th, I know that tomorrow's the big day and your fourth book comes out to be made well, an invitation to wholeness, healing, and hope. And I am sure you are so busy with everything, getting ready for that and what goes into releasing your book into this world. So thank you for being here today with me. 
Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. It's funny, you get to the end of a book writing process and right before the launch, and yes, there are things to do, but it's also kind of like, I'm twiddling my thumbs waiting to see what happens. So I'm really glad to just get to talk on a podcast. Thank you. That's great. Perfect. Well, thank you because you sent me an advanced copy, which I have right here and I have it dog-eared and underlined and ready for this conversation. And congratulations on this. This is such a really fantastic book. So well-written. I finished it last night and I cannot encourage people enough to go get their copy I know that they will, once they hear this conversation, they'll be clicking on that Amazon app and sticking it in the buy now cart for sure. But it's so beautifully written and you present the material in such, such an accessible, real world, relatable way. And we're gonna go deeper into the book and what that's all about in just a little bit. Before we get going though, I would love for you to give everyone an idea of who you are and how you became a writer and what shapes your thoughts as you sit down and face that blank page? Gosh, well, thank you so much for uh, reading the book. And I'm so glad that you liked it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's funny when I, like I've always been someone who writes. I wouldn't have called myself a writer, but I've always been someone who writes things, even as a little kid. Like I was writing poetry and essays and stories and all those types of things. Um, and I kind of backed my way into writing memoir or like personal narrative when I found that that was my, just the way I processed stories, the way I processed my own life mm -hmm. was always by journaling. And eventually I started to, after, you know, not immediately, I don't think it's ever wise to kind of immediately give reflections on hard things that are happening, but eventually I would go back and be like, okay, you know, what I've already been writing about personally, I'm in a place where I'm kind of ready to share it in case that might be helpful to other people. And so, but with this book, honestly, it began like seven years ago. And so I've published a whole other book in the meantime, and I've done some writing around this concept of healing over the course of those seven years, but it really wasn't in a place where I was ready to say, here's what I've learned. Like, here's what I can offer to other people because I was still so much in a place of being like, what is going on? Like, how do I understand this? How do I make sense of it? What's happening to me? What's happening in the world? Um, so often my process of writing is not really starting with a blank page. Once I know that I wanna write a book about something, it's like, okay, I've written all these scraps, whether that was like an Instagram post or a journal entry, like it might be public, it might be private. And I've read all these books and stuff. And like, now I need to somehow weave them together. And then of course, write lots and lots in between, but that's a lot of it is actually having written lots of things about the same topic, oh, maybe there's a book there and like bringing them together. Does that make sense? That does. And that is actually very fascinating because I'm always so curious how people develop their book ideas. Like, do you chart the whole thing out? Like, do you map it out? Do you have an outline? Do you have an idea of where you're going? But that actually makes so much sense to me because, you know, I journal a, a ton, a ton. Yeah. And um, I was, I was reading back through it the other day and some of the things, and you're right, you have to have some space and you have to have time for reflection and to really process through it and be well past it to be able to have that perspective. I can't imagine writing on or speaking on anything publicly when you're right in the middle of it. I think that would be very difficult to, to be helpful. I think for anybody else, right. it might be helpful for you just to get it out, <laughs> but maybe not so helpful for other people listening. That makes a ton of sense because when I was going back through my journal and I was reading some things, I was even surprised by my own writing and insight at the time, just kind of what I was saying. And I 
there were a few spots where I thought, oh my gosh, I remember sitting down to write that, but I forgot the the, the richness of what mm-hmm. was happening and what was there. And so to go back and to be able to look at that moment and and to pull something out of it, that makes a ton of sense to me. That's fascinating. So give us a little bit about your background because you have a really fantastic background um, in what you're educated in and what you're doing now. So tell us a little bit about that and how that influences what you like to journal about or read about or, or learn about. Yeah. So um, I've always been, as I said, like a writer, but even before that, a reader. And so I've always been someone who really likes school, um, which is certainly part of why I ended up undergraduate as an English major at Princeton University, where I also ended up getting um, a minor, you know, had a minor in African-American studies because I read a lot of African-American literature. And that really was just piqued my interest in more historical, cultural, sociological aspects of not just literature, but like American culture. And But within all of that, I also had had an experience in high school where although I'd been grown up in the church, it was not something that was particularly meaningful to me. It was like, sure, I guess I believe this maybe, you know, but mm-hmm. I had an experience in high school when I was sick. I write about this a bit in the book um, where I really felt like if God is real, I actually need God. Like this is not just a backup plan, you know? I, I, and so I had an encounter with, you know, someone I would call God, um, when I was a teenager and certainly was like exploring that through a lot of my adolescence and into college. And then a couple of years out of college, uh, decided that I wanted to go to seminary and get what's called a master's of divinity. So went back to Princeton seminary for that. And during that time is when I actually both started having children and started writing books. And so the kind of faith and family and as it happened, our first child, Penny, who's now 16 years old, was diagnosed with Down syndrome just a few hours after she was born. And I had at that point completed two years of seminary. Mm -hmm. And so disability and really thinking about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean for us to be in relationship with one another? What does it mean to love? What does it mean to have healing? All of those types of questions were really, um, came up in those early years of Penny's life. I then had two more kids you know, finished my degree. It took a long time uh, and then started writing books. So that's, that's kind of how I got from, from there to here. Uh, And I continue to be someone who kind of, I really love consuming information and thinking about it. And I continue to be someone who's really interested and personally practicing faith and thinking about why, how does this matter in our lives and how to make that um, accessible to people who maybe don't have the same background as I do, or, you know, are just like busy people in the midst of a lot of everyday life and not thinking, why would I read this book from 2000 years ago? Or why would I, you know, do these ancient practices? Um, I'm really interested in how to make that all accessible to people and, and relevant to our real lives. Yeah. And you do that so well in the book, really. That's one of the things I love how you open each chapter Hmm. with a, with a story from your own life. And it's not stories that are from a long time ago. I know that you do talk about something that happened when you were in high school, but they're real life stories right now about your kids, yeah. you know, a beach vacation and, you mm-hmm. know, the struggle of getting the kids to go from the, the pool to the ocean yep. and, you know, COVID when we were all probably all consuming way too much wine and <laughs> what that meant. yeah, I mean, so <laughs> super relatable and kind of bringing all of that to your own experience with healing and deep healing. 
you have such an amazing perspective on all of this. And I appreciated uh, when we first spoke, we were, we met through a mutual friend. We yeah. have to give a big shout out to Kirsten and we met through Kirsten and we first, you know, we're kind of speaking and, you know, I love your background. I, I find it fascinating that you uh, went back to school to get, you know, a degree in divinity and that you've got your kids and you've just got this, you know, very relatable life that our listeners can, you know, relate to. You're busy with your kids. You're busy with life. You're trying to expand yourself and trying to tap into your own soul purpose and what you're meant to do here. And your books definitely reflect that. I've only read this one, but now I'm so intrigued to read the others because I went and looked up all the titles and I was like, Ooh, that sounds good. And that sounds good. Uh, thank you. Let's talk about the book. It is called this particular book to be made well, which is an invitation to wholeness, healing, and hope. And I thought maybe we could just start by the title because I wanted to know what that means to you. And if you could let our listeners know where the title to be made well came from. Yeah. So originally I wanted to call it made well, and we couldn't because of the clothing company. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone likes the title, but it was like, if you type that into Google search, you'll have like three pages of a brand that is not your book. Couldn't do that. Um, which in some ways was great because I really, I like where we landed. I like to be made well. Um, and it, that comes, I guess, from this question that Jesus actually asks of a man who has been um, lying by a pool. Well, he's been an invalid, it says in the Bible for 38 years. And he says, do you want to be made well? So there mm-hmm. is kind of a slight biblical reference, but it's also, I don't know, for me, the idea of, um, being made well can mean being healed, right? If you're sick and you've been made well, but it also can mean being like created well, being crafted Mm. well. And I love that idea of that, like there's an inherent goodness and beauty and dignity and having, like we have been made well as human beings and we don't always feel that, we don't always live that, but what does it mean for us to live into that? So there was kind of this resonance of like a couple different meanings that you could take from that and then um, go, and that idea of also that we, when we know that we are made well, we can um, participate in making things well, you know, like, so anyway, I, I, that's where the title came from was all those different ideas. And then that particular phrase from that encounter that Jesus has with a man who is looking for healing. Oh, there's a lot I like about that. I mean, first off, just the very down to earth related, like, well, I really liked made well, but <laughs> couldn't have that. But then the deeper, you know, the deeper meaning of what it really came to mean to you about to be made well. And thank you for sharing all of that, because I like that you focused in on the fact that we are crafted well from the very beginning. Mm. I think Western Christianity kind of got really down with the like original sin business. And really, I I mean, I was raised Catholic. So for me, that's very stamped in there, that kind of stamp of original sin. And I think that does start you from a different perspective. You know, it's that idea of you can, you can only give that what you are, you can only give that what, what you have. Mm-hmm. So to shape that mindset differently to say, no, I am actually, I am created well, and I have been made to put good things into this world. Mm-hmm. I fully believe that. And I think it's hard sometimes for people to embrace that. So I think the powerful, I think your title is very powerful and it has a, a really great message behind it. So bravo. I'm glad that made well was taken. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I know. I think it worked out well. And I agree with you. I even, you know, I did not grow up Catholic. I'm on the Protestant side of the church. And I still, I think because of that word original, that sense Mm -hmm. of like, 
from the very beginning, you were sinful. And I, there's some part of me that believes that, like that none of us were born with absolutely no flaws or that we never get anything wrong or do things that are hurtful and harmful in the world. Like I think sin can be a really helpful concept to understand all the brokenness in our lives and in our world. For sure. But from like a biblical perspective, the beginning is good. Like that, yeah. I mean, it's like Genesis chapter one, God saying, good, 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 very good. Like when the humans come on the scene, very good. And that is picked up throughout the Bible. Like it's, there's this other passage in the Psalms where the Psalmist says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made from the moment of my mother's womb. Like that, that sense of from the get-go, we are good and we've been made good by God for and for good purposes in the world. And again, that doesn't mean that there's not brokenness or so much obviously heartbreak and um, harm that we do to one another. But I think it's that's the middle of the story, like the beginning of the story, the end of the story, the most important part of the story is that goodness. And we've really, I certainly as a Christian have lost sight of that um, and, and didn't have an understanding of that until recent years. And it makes such a difference, as you said, to be like, wait a second, not just about me, but about everyone I encounter. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it actually mean to be created well and in the image of God, which means we're meant to reflect back into the world who God is. And if God is goodness and beauty and truth and love and all of these qualities, then for me to live to my like fullest and to be who I'm created to be means that I get to live with goodness and beauty and life and light and love. So yeah. that understanding for me really changed things. And I do think it has a lot to do with healing, with being made well. Yeah, for sure. And just, you know, this whole conversation, this is not a conversation about sin, but to kind of round out the whole idea of of being made well. I heard David Brooks say several years ago in an interview uh, for his one of his books, he was talking about the concept of sin. And he said it was St. Augustine who said, sin is just having your loves out of order. Right. It's, it's, it's not an inherent brokenness about who you are. It's kind of that Brene Brown, you know, the shame and the guilt. Shame is, it's not who you are. It's just something that's happening in this moment. You have gotten something a little bit sideways or out of order. Well, that essentially, like even our quote unquote sinful longings, if we peel them back, yeah. what we find underneath them is a good longing and it might yes. get, it might get warped and distorted and be really bad. And we need to name that and be willing to have ways to deal with it. But at the same time, I think you're right. Like peel it back and you get down to something good, a longing for connection, a longing for relationship, a longing, I think ultimately for love back to yeah. what you were saying about David Brooks and Augustine, like that we have disordered loves, but what it comes back to is love. And so yeah. there's something really positive and hopeful about that. Yeah, for sure. It's so funny. You just said that about peeling, peeling things back. And once you peel mm -hmm. it back, you see the longing and the desire. I was really actually just right before this, I was reading a passage from Thomas More from his book, A Religion of One's Own, which is a book I go back and visit every once in a while, mm -hmm. but he has a chapter in there about uh, eros and how it's become to become so sexualized and he said it's actually it's not it's life force it's yeah. it's life energy and sometimes it can feel like sexual energy yeah. and it can be confusing but when you peel it back and you look at what's really animating it it's a bigger desire and a bigger longing to step into something bigger this this more expanded experience so it is fascinating when you start to peel it all back and connecting it to your book. One of the things that I love, your book really covers 
four big areas about healing. You talk about our bodies, you talk about our souls, you talk about healing with God, and you talk about healing in community. And I think it's so great that you've wound all those things together and that you cover all of those topics because it can be hard for people who were raised in a very traditional religious background. I, you know, I mentioned I was raised Catholic. Yeah. There's a big disassociation with our bodies, you know, especially as a female in the Catholic uh, upbringing, you know, there was a lot of shame attached around your body. And so, you know, shame and spirituality don't really jive so well together. They don't really harmonize. So there really wasn't a natural point of integration for me there until I got older. So you, you know, talk about that in the book. And I love that you bring that up so much about the, you know, that body connection to healing and not just physical healing of ailments and illness, but the the connection overall to our whole, our whole entire being, our whole spirituality. Yeah. I think one of the kind of fascinating aspects of this whole story and journey for me was that my way back into a thinking about healing in this more holistic sense Although I'm doing that from a Christian perspective, it was through an encounter with a yoga teacher who grew up Catholic, but has left the Catholic faith of her childhood in part because of the ways there were these dissonances in what she had learned in her yoga practice. For me, she helped me understand more than I had before that uh, body and mind and body and spirit. Because I do think there's all those parts of us are meant to be integrated. And it made sense to me. Like if I believe that God created us then there, of course, there would be an integration of mind, body, and spirit. And of course, it wouldn't just be, I want your soul to be saved or cared for, but like your whole self. And I then started looking at these stories in the gospels and saw how much that was true for Jesus, where yes, he was actually physically healing people. And I think for a long time, I thought, oh yeah, that was back then before antibiotics and surgeries. Like Mm -hmm. it's not relevant anymore. And then I started to see, actually, this was where, you know, seminary can come in helpful, um, but where there's this Greek word, so-so, that gets used a lot to describe Jesus's healings. And I learned that that's not actually the Greek word that you would typically use to describe someone who had a physical you know, uh, getting better from an illness or a physical transformation in their bodies. You would use therapeuo, which we get the word therapeutic from that. Um, Mm -hmm. Or there's this other word that I may not know how to pronounce (laughs) that's like iomai, something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and so those are kind of like, that person was cured. Like the disease is not there anymore. But the word sozo is the same word that they use when there doesn't seem to be any physical change happening and someone is quote unquote saved. It's exactly the same word. So when a woman is bleeding and her bleeding stops, so-so, when a man is blind and he now can see, so-so, but also when Zacchaeus, who some listeners might remember from like Sunday school way back when, because he was the wee little man up in the tree, when Zacchaeus gives all of his money away, so-so, salvation Uh has come. So there's this sense of like, Yes, it means healing, but it means healing in this much more comprehensive way than what I think about when I hear the word healing. And that was really helpful to me in believing that when Jesus was talking about and performing these like miraculous healings, it wasn't just about like some physical change. It was actually, I think more importantly, about a spiritual reconnection 
mind, body, spirit, connection to God. And then as you brought up before, a connection to community um, and back into the society. So I think there's a whole lot going on with healing that is bigger than just an individual human feeling better after, you know, a bout of illness or injury. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you, this is why your book is going to resonate so much with people. Mm -hmm. I I really do think right now, because just that very idea of the so-so and that being a more comprehensive healing than just a physical kind of healing, I think people are really longing. I think they're longing so desperately for that right now. There's so much division. There are just so many wounds that are not maybe physical wounds, but emotional wounds and societal wounds and people are tired and they're worn down and they see the division and they don't really see anybody that's helping to, to bridge it so much. And it's exhausting. And I think people are longing for that exact thing, that exact idea, but it's as it is with so many words that were, that are in Greek, you know, they have so many words for different things. And we have one word, you know, healing, and we associate that with our body. And your book does such a beautiful job of, of wrapping that concept around all of those different areas, the Mm -hmm. body, the soul, the community. Bravo. That's really, to me, one of the things that made the book so very magical and, Mm -hmm. and very powerful. Thank you. Yeah. It was powerful for me too, to really explore that and to kind of dig into it more, um, not just from like the biblical perspective, but to your point in thinking about not only like exactly what you said, I think especially with COVID and George Floyd and just the events of the past couple of years, that sense of so much woundedness and brokenness has been revealed in our own personal lives and in our society. But then also recognizing that even from like um, a contemporary medical perspective, so much of the pain that we experience in our body and the disease that we experience is not just a physical thing. It's not to say it's fake or like not real, but the way we, you know, loneliness has a huge impact Mm -hmm. on health outcomes, right? Like Mm -hmm. not to mention the way we treat our bodies in terms of our, you know, what we put into them and why we do that, which is to say often because of stress. I mean, and there's so many like stress related illnesses and and injuries too. And so, I mean, certainly I'm talking a lot about like a biblical connection between mind, body, spirit, but I think even in just like contemporary medical practice, there's a lot of work being done on mind, body, spirit and recognizing that uh, what these things are really interrelated and we need to understand healing and wholeness and health from much more than just a physical perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure every doctor that would be listening to this would be right there with you saying that. I mean, how many times have we gone in, have you gone in or I've gone in or our listeners have gone into the doctor and they're, you know, I'll say, Oh, I'm, I have these dizzy spells or, you know, I had a, yes. a problem with ringing in my ear. Mm-hmm. It's stress. You've got to figure out a way to get that to go away. So I, you know, you hear that so much and doctors, I feel like are, I don't know if they're increasingly saying it. It seems like people are increasingly hearing it. So I, it's very relatable about that. And I know you shared in the book about that experience with your yoga instructor and that you started off seeing her for back pain. Yeah. Can you just give us a little snip about what happened there for you? Yeah, totally. Um, so I had been experiencing lower back pain for a couple of years uh, off and on and just felt kind of typical like I had little children I was picking them up you know we had moved and we you know were sleeping in different beds and 
Um, I mean, honestly, now it seems so obvious how much stress was related, but at the time, that's not how I was thinking about it. Um, and so I tried like core strengthening exercises and I tried massage and I tried yoga on my own and I did all of these different things. And eventually I found myself, not only my lower back was hurting, but my tailbone was also really hurting. And I was getting up in the middle of the night every night and taking an Advil. And I just was like, this is not good. Like, I know this shouldn't be this way. I told my kids who were probably like seven, five and two or something like that, that I couldn't hold them anymore. Like, no, you can't sit on my lap. It hurts. I can't pick you up. Like, so I knew this was not how I wanted to live. And I reached out to this uh, woman, Anne, who is a yoga teacher who people had said, she's really good with these types of things. And when I said to her, you know, I think there must be something out of alignment in my body because I just can't figure this out. And she said, anytime I hear someone use the word alignment, I think about what's not aligned in your life, mm. not what's not aligned in your body. And just the fact that she said that, I mean, I literally was just like, well, and over the course of, we sat for an hour, we did not do one yoga pose unless I'm sure there's some name for sitting cross-legged, but whatever <laughs> that is, that's the only pose we did. Um, and by the end of it, I said, you know, it feels like there was a valve that got turned and every, all the pain in my back was released. Mm. And I said, and I don't understand it because nothing, I, I'm getting it that like there's a mind body connection here, but nothing in my life has changed. All I've done is sit here for an hour. And she said, you know, you don't need to fix your whole life in order for healing to begin. You just need to acknowledge the source of the pain. Yeah. I had been in such denial about the idea that I was stressed out, that it was really hard for me to be a wife and a mom and still be trying to write. And that I felt like a failure and you know, all of these things. Like I just couldn't name that. And once I started to just be like, yeah, this is what's going on. My body was like, Oh, thank you. Okay. Now you can deal with this without me having to keep telling you there's a problem. There's a problem. So that was the beginning of this at least this big long chapter of this healing journey. How true, because uh, our body holds it, you know, when we're holding all this stress, we're holding all this tension, our body holds it. And more and more science is getting hip to that. They're finding measurable ways of showing us that and telling us that that's yes, indeed what's happening. So I love that. I thought that was fascinating that you just, you're like, my, my back pain was gone. I just, I got it all out and it was gone. I love how you say, I'm jumping forward to another chapter but you talk about, I'm going to go to it actually, because I loved the, um, I think I have it like starred and underlined mm. way back in the, the spiritual he healing chapter. You talk about taking the first steps towards participating in our own healing and that, that bigger healing, you know, that, that, that we we're, that the whole book really kind of focuses on. And you said it really starts when we acknowledge our needs or, or as your yoga teacher said, when you identify the pain, when you acknowledge your needs and you ask for help and you say this, and I think it's so beautiful. You say, when we do so, it's as if we open a vessel inside our souls, a place of receptivity. Really, really gorgeous. And I think that is so true. Just it, you do carve open a space inside. Mm. I think part of what's so hard for us in that, I mean, there are a couple of things, like one is just the American self-reliance, like I'm not supposed to ask for help, I'm not supposed to have needs, um, and that we can, to ourselves, not even know that they're 
there, much less feel comfortable saying, and that's, that's okay. Like that's a part of my humanness is that I need other people. And in fact, it's even a good part of my humanness because it connects me to other people and puts me in relationships of care and love. But it also opens us up. Like, I think that idea of vulnerability, um, which I write about how the root of that word is able to be wounded. And when we open ourselves up, when we say, I need help, we are exposing ourselves. It's like, okay, I might get wounded here or I might receive love here. I mean, it's almost an either or um, a lot of the time. And so I, that instinct to protect ourselves makes so much sense. And yet it's that instinct is almost like what we have to get over with trust that the needs and the longings and the hopes and the dreams, like all those things that we have and opening up, as you said, like that vessel for receptivity um, is actually it's a risk worth taking because yeah. there is love, there is connection, there is possibility, you know, out there, but we have to risk getting hurt, um, ironically, in order to risk being made well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, you, you share a story about your sister and the splinter in her foot. That's what, that's what's, I'm, what's coming up to my mind right now about sometimes things get lodged in there and you have to open a new wound to to get to get it out, yeah. to create a new wound, to then really get out what needs to come out. And that, I got to tell you, I think that's the part that, that I know personally, I have in my own journey have, have struggled with the most of kind of reopening things and yeah. going back in and just not wanting to do that. But that's a huge part of healing is just kind of open it back up, digging it back out. It's kind of like a cavity. You got to get all the, all the bad stuff out of there before you can put the filling in or the tooth's going to rot. So. Well, and it is, it's a sense of like, it's exhausting, but yeah. it's also exhausting to limp along. Right. Like, I mean, just that sense of which exhaustion. Pick you're tired. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You're going to have it either way, but one of them, if you actually go through the exhaustion might lead to having energy and new life. And I think about that. I mean, obviously we can relate to that on just a very personal level, but I also think about that as we wrestle as a nation about, oh my gosh, are we really going to go back to that part of our history mm. and post that again? Are we going to look at that again? And it's like, yeah, because we have not healed from it. Right. And if we can actually name the, you know, sins of racism and of sexism and, you know, on down the isms that have, you know, dogged us throughout our history as Americans and not just name them, but say, what are we going to do so that these actually heal? I think there's a tremendous amount of freedom on the other side of that and of repair, you know, and possibility. But um, I see us and I'm part of this saying, oh, do we really have to go back there? Like, haven't we, haven't we done that already? And it wasn't it messy enough at the time, you know, um, but both personally and collectively, we really need to actually dig out the gunk in order for the wounds to heal. Yeah, very true. Very true. And hard, just very hard and exhausting in a time when people are exhausted and already pushed and feeling like we've all been pushed kind of to the the limit of our capacities here and being able to hold difficult things so it's it's hard to create the space and the, the willingness to do that certainly as a collective it's even more challenging to do that to get everyone to to go there together but so necessary and you make that point so beautifully in the book of how important that is to to get in there because if you can't see it if you don't get oxygen on it if you don't you know, pull it out, it's going to just sit there and fester. So 
really good. Switching tracks a little bit. This is one of the reasons I just, I really enjoyed this book because there were so many moments of, of really deep, introspective, thoughtful, thought-provoking work. And then there were moments of just sheer relatedness where you're like, oh yes, I totally know what she's saying. This is like an everyday thing. I'm going to go actually to page 56. And you're talking about by the time that 2020 rolled around and that you were becoming, you know, tired and you were already kind of had already done a lot of work. I'll just read a little bit to you if that's okay. If I read your own words back to you. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about by the time the winter of 2020 rolled around, I had become tired of what felt like a constant need for more inner work, greater self-reflection, more inner healing. I wondered when self-care became self-indulgence, whether healing was truly possible and whether I had the energy for it. And I think a lot of people feel that that way. And I think for two things, for one, what we were just saying of, we get tired and worn down just by life circumstances. But then there's also this flip side of it where you really are trying, where you're really trying to do some hard work and trying to dig stuff out. And at some point, there does come a point where you're like, okay, uh, I mean, am I being, am I just getting all wrapped up in myself here? How did you find your balance with that? How did you find your way through that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I I would say I still ask that question, you know, just because I do, I mean, there is a part of me that could be like on a retreat all the time. Yes, (laughs) me too. I feel the same way. (laughs) I'm like, just like maintaining like this body and this set. I mean, and I'm like as scattered and distracted as they come, but like this little bit of mindfulness that I have, like this small prayer practice, this whatever, like that takes a lot of work. Um, much less what there's like actual like, oh my gosh, really? I need to go back to when I was nine and, <laughs> you know, figure out how to reparent the poor child who heard, the thing, you know, so there is, so I, and I do, and I really do want to be someone who's like here now with yeah. my people now and enjoying life too. Like um, even my husband actually at the moment is in um, Orlando, Florida with two of our kids who are on spring break and they're in like, you know, Universal Studios. And he's like, I'm just kind of going back and forth between like a cultural analysis of all the people here and like, what are you spending money on? And why are you thinking this is fun? And having a great time with our kids and being like, this is awesome. And I I feel a little bit that way where I'm like, I don't want to get so introspective that I'm like so serious and like not enjoying the real people in the real places around me. And at the same time, when I did express what you were saying um, to Anne, again, my yoga teacher just that sense of like, do I have to keep going with the healing? And she was like, you know, you have to keep going until the love goes deeper than the wound. Oh, yes. And that was really, really profound for me because I was like, oh yeah, that's what I want. Like a deeper, wider, broader, longer, more enduring understanding of what it means for me to be beloved, of what it means for love to hold the universe, of what it means to live out of love and not out of um, obligation to other people and to our world, but like to actually live, to be fueled in that place, healed in that place and live out of that. That's what does ultimately motivate me. But I don't feel like I have some like, you know, magic formula of (laughs) how much healing work should I be doing and how much you know, living my life and like getting the groceries. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that line that you said, I had to underline the only way healing happens is if the love goes deeper than the wound. I just got chills when you said it again. Like when I read it, I literally, I get, I was like, oh, wow. Like that is a, that is truth right there. That is very, very deep truth. 
that is, and, and that's what you're talking about is that connection to a bigger source, that connection to knowing that you were made well, and that you were made from a, you know, what, what you call God, what I might call universe, what other people might call source, whatever people call it that you are crafted and you're cut from something bigger and something more important that would never leave you just hanging, you know, it would never leave you just hanging out there on your own. And so you, to know that you're always kind of held and caught in that way is, is good. And yeah, finding that balance is tricky. I think, especially now I know I've heard a lot of people talking in the last couple of weeks about watching what's happening and what's unfolding in in Ukraine and looking at their own lives and and having a hard time living in the joy of their their life and what's happening here out of feeling the sorrow and the pain for what's happening to you know people being displaced by this war and you know i think it's i heard someone talking about this the other day and she made the best point that i i've ever heard on this which was you have to live into that joy you have to live into the happiness you have to live into the Disney worlds and the, all the things, because why else are we fight? What else are we fighting for, for people to have, you know, we want everyone to have the happiness and the joy and the freedom and the, these silly, you know, frivolous experiences that you can have every once in a while for relaxation or whatever. So to be able to balance it that way, I thought that's a good, that's a good way to, to look at it. You have to appreciate what you have and really live into that to know that that's what you want for other people as well. Right. Well, and, and I don't know, I mean, I have the same question and obviously I think we can be trite about it or like, you know, kind of get ourselves, let ourselves off the hook with suffering in the world. Yeah. I also think if I'm connected to that suffering, then is there a way in which they are connected to this stability mm-hmm. or to this joy, right? Like it, and I think, especially when we get at the deeper, the joy, the love, the peace, the hope, like the things that at least I believed are what remain and are what really matter. Um, every act of love is bringing more love into the world. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's anything I can do other than like pray and give some money to affect what's happening in Ukraine right now. Right. But there's some sense of, again, on that more cosmic level. And yet if I am able to love, then that is doing something, right? That's doing something and it can even be related to the horror, you know, and, you know, Ukraine is certainly the most um, obvious example of this in our world right now, but we've always confined them. Yes. Uh, people who are really, really suffering in ways that is completely unjust and um, heartbreaking and not how it should be. Um, and we don't want to like turn a blind eye to it, but it's also, I think there is a sense of what can we do in response? it's worth asking that question. And sometimes the answer is, well, I can love my child today. That's what I can do in response, you know? Um, and I, I don't think that's completely satisfying, but it is, it's a little bit of a help to me. I think what you just said about, you know, love generates more love and you have to believe that that's connected to some, you know, if the, that if you're connected to their sorrow, that we're, they're somehow connected to the, the stability here. Yeah. That's a beautiful idea and it's a beautiful image to to hope that we are all bound i mean if you believe that we are all bound which i think a lot of people are coming more and more to that realization that my actions affect you and your actions affect me and our actions affect that country and all you know we're also interconnected that you have to believe some of that stability is is also connected and just the idea of that love you know it's a great multiplier it generates more on top of itself so yeah putting love out into the world Terrific. 
So switching tracks again, because there are many different tracks that we could go with the book, but I loved um, particularly, this is such a selfish thing because I'm relating to all the things that I'm like, oh yes, I relate to that. And I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> but you talk about um, achievement and you know that clearly you are a high achiever, you know, two Princeton degrees, you have three children, you have written four books now. So we're talking some pretty high achievement levels here. And you have a section of the book where you talk about that and an image that you had at one point. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Because I really, sure. that hit me and like, I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah so I, I can't even remember what prompted it, but I started this practice um, where, and, and it had been like suggested in a book, I think on like contemplative prayer of sitting and putting a timer on for anywhere from like three to 20 minutes. I don't think I've ever done this for 20 minutes, but um, nevertheless, some period of time and trying to just sit and experience the love of God. So not doing, not performing, not even praying in the sense of I need this, or I'm worried about this or whatever, just sitting in the love of God. And one time I had what was, you know, more of like a mystical experience. And what I saw while I was doing that was myself bringing all of my achievements to God mm. and piling them up on God's lap. So it was like, here are my awards, here are my diplomas, here are my children, here are my books. And I just kind of like a little kid, you know, trying to kind of prove myself to my dad or something, you know, like I'm going to bring all of this stuff and maybe then you'll love me was the um, unwritten words that I was saying. And I got to the end of it all and I was standing there and, and I didn't see God, but I still, I had the sense of God saying, um, there's no room for you if you have all these achievements on my lap. Mm. So what I needed to do was take all of the achievements away one by one by one so that I could climb up into God's lap and be received for who I am, not what I've done. And it was a truly like profoundly transformative experience for me to try to believe that I am loved for who I am, not what I do. Mm. And that that has been true from day one, you know, going back to what we were saying about being uh, made well, this is very good, you know, from the get-go and not because, and it's like, if my achievements can come out of an identity, like of already being beloved, if I can just give out of that place, that's a really different thing than if I think I have to prove that I am worthy of love by doing all this stuff, right? If being can come first and my doing can flow out of that, because I really do love reading and writing. So if I can do that out of who I already know that I am, then it can be, I guess, an achievement, but it also can be like a blessing to me and to other people. Whereas if I'm doing it to try to prove that I'm really, really, I'm okay, you really, you should love me, then there's just this like anxiety that fuels all of it and this relentlessness, like it can never be enough. I'll always have to write the next thing. It'll have to be better and it'll have to, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was a deeply moving experience for me and one that really carried, you know, over from just the, you know, those 10 minutes or whatever into um, a, a deeper understanding of what it means to be beloved. Yeah, I thought that was so beautiful. And when, I mean, when I got to that spot, I was like, dead silence for me. I was like, wait, there's no room for you. Wow. Wow. Like what a revelation to think about because we, 
not everyone, but I think a lot of people do hold on to their achievements and they wear them like, you know, banners around themselves. And this is who I am. And this is how I am. And this is how I am in the world. And this is what's important about me. And, you know, use it as all these positioning chips. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You know, is there room for you is the question. And, and I love that you're talking about when you're writing from that different energy, it, it feels different. It really does. If you're writing from a proving energy, you might not say things that you normally would say or share. You might, you might actually even stop yourself from writing because you might be scared. You can't beat your last book or you can't stack up to the person that's next to you. So there's a lot, uh, you know, you have a whole chapter in there about how achievement can really get in your way of actual healing. You have so many great chapters about that. Achievement is one shame is another. There are lots of different uh, barricades to our own healing that we put in front of ourselves. And that one was so, just so exceedingly powerful for, for me as, as an Enneagram three, who's a, a high on the achievement uh, desire over here that you have to tap that down and, and make space for just being, being who you are really powerful stuff. Mm, well, thank you. Yeah. That, um, and, and it's interesting because I think you're right when I told that story once, um, and I told it to a woman who said, you know, I'm an Enneagram too, the person I was talking to, which is to say like a nurturer. Mm -hmm. And she said, so I don't relate to that. Like I wouldn't have brought my achievements, but she said, I relate to it entirely at the same time, because I would just keep telling other people that it's their turn to go receive God. Of course, I would never have let myself go. And it was such this awesome moment of just being like, yeah, not everyone is like me in the sense of what they would bring and put in God's lap, so to speak. But like, we are all finding some way to not recognize that we're loved. And if we can acknowledge that and be like, wait, me, really me, you're sure, (laughs) sure me, Um, just as I am, you know, that's, there's a real beauty to that. And I was so grateful because uh, she helped me to recognize, yeah, my the specifics of my story are not going to be the same for everyone, but that sense of like not truly believing mm. that I get to be in the lap of love, you know, mm. um, that's going to be true for all of us. And yet the invitation is there for all of us also. And so what, what would it mean if we actually believed it and lived out of that? Oh, and that's ultimately what it comes back down to, right? Is it's, it's that love, it's that connection to source that will help us with that bigger healing that this book is really addressing that bigger, more comprehensive healing that I think we're all looking so much for. So I know we're almost out of time here. I wanted to ask before we go, what are you hoping that people will get from reading your book? Yeah. And well, thanks for asking that. And I think it is a lot of what we've talked about. I mean, it's actually super encouraging to me, just what you've picked out. Cause I'm like, yes, those are the best parts. <laughs> like for me personally, they were so moving and so um, helpful. And I think I want it to be like a catalyst for healing, which is to say, I think different people are going to need different things, whether that's like literally physical pain. And I want a way to try to bring prayer into my body or I am heartbroken by what's going on in the world and I feel helpless to respond. And I want a way to be a part of a healing that goes outside of my household and into our community. You know, I think different people have different needs, but I hope what this book is, is a way into those needs for different people that will catalyze a transformative work of healing, honestly, um, both personally and collectively. And I would hope that for, you know, for men and women, I would hope it for, you know, we are just at a place in our nation right now 
and this is true globally, but I'm thinking mostly about America at the moment where so many of us um, personally, in terms of our families, in terms of our local communities, and then our like broader political spectrum, we just need healing. And if this book can be like a small spark um, and, and equipping, like giving people real tools that they can say, yeah, I could do that, or I could uh, participate in that. I could talk to someone about that. Uh, that would be my hope for it. Beautiful. And absolutely. I think I, as you were just sitting here talking about that, I'm just thinking how grateful I am to just have this platform to have you on, to have more people hear about it because it really, your book really does cover all those areas. You know, I picked out my favorite spots, but I have a page of notes and I didn't even get to half of the things I wanted to talk about. So it's, it's so full. And I do think, like you said, whatever you're looking for in your healing journey, there's something in here for everyone to relate to. And you do make it so relatable and you also make it very thoughtful and thought provoking and, and inviting, inviting us all. And which makes sense because that's the name, the subtitle of the book, an invitation to wholeness, healing, and hope. And you really have done a beautiful job of inviting people into that and providing that message. So Bravo on a terrific book. I, I wish you the best of luck with its launch. And I believe that I have an extra copy coming. And so I'm going to offer that to my listeners as a little book giveaway, which I will put more information in the outro about that. But I, I would like more people to have access to the book. And so I would be happy to give one out and uh, help get the word out because it is really that great. So where can they find you? I'm sure they can find the Well, I know they can find the book on Amazon because I've pre-ordered a copy there, but where else can they find you and to keep up with all the great work that you're doing? Yeah. So um, one nice thing about my name is that no one else has it. Amy Julia Becker. It's really easy. Um, and there's lots of information there, including um, like an excerpt from the book, uh, as well as, you know, other just um, endorsements and various other things I've written, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Amy Julia Becker. So fabulous. And I do encourage everybody to follow along with you. I love watching your Instagram posts and, and I'm actually can't wait to go read a couple more of your other books because your titles are very intriguing to me. So I'm so grateful to our friend Kirsten for introducing us. And I am so grateful to you for coming on the show, but more than that, for unleashing your soul song in writing and sharing it with all of us and for sharing this really amazing book with the world. So I wish you the very best with it, Amy Julia. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Becky. It was great to be here. I got so much out of that conversation and I would love to hear what hit home with you. So drop me a note over on Instagram at Unleash Your Soul Song. And speaking of Instagram, if you share the post promoting today's show that's on my account and you tag at Unleash Your Soul Song and you tag Amy Julia, she is at Amy Julia Becker, you will be entered to win a free copy of her book, the one we talked about today, To Be Made Well. I will send it to you personally. So be sure to share that post not only to win the book, but especially if you got something out of the show. Because if you found this helpful, then I can guarantee you, I guarantee you that someone in your network will as well. So let's all help spread the healing and share this episode out. And if you are in a season of healing, I invite you to take advantage of my free workbook on uncovering and defining your core values that you can find on my website, theintuneexperience.com. 
Today, we talked a lot about being held by something more, by something bigger. Whether you call that God, source, the universe, spirit, energy, it doesn't matter what you call it. Our core values are the living expression of that something more. They not only clarify what fulfills you, which is healing in and of itself, but they also clarify what gifts you have been given to help heal the world. So if you're not using your core values to align your life, I hope that you'll take advantage of that free workbook on the homepage of theintunexperience.com. And that's it for today's show. I know how busy life is, and I really appreciate you popping us in your ears as you drive around, as you make dinner, as you fold the laundry, take a walk, or whatever it is that you're doing right now. Thank you all so very much, and have a great week. You and me, you and me, he and she, he and she, next door neighbor, stranger down the street, warm chain, warm chain, grab the clouds, grab the clouds, cause we haven't even touched our highest ground, no we haven't even touched our highest ground, no we haven't even touched our highest ground. Unleash Your Soul Song is recorded and edited in 426 Studios, the music production company that I co-own. For more information about our music and the songwriting experiences we offer for individuals and corporations, please visit www.thefour26.com. That's www.thefour26.com.